Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Daily Marketer. This is our part two conversation with Trevor McGraw, a senior director and one of the founding members of AppCast, which is a pioneer in paper apply programmatic advertising. Please enjoy. Hey, Trevor, welcome back. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me. So I thought we'd start off with kind of get, getting back into the conversation we were talking about programmatic job advertising, what kind of clientele does AppCast have? So I, th- I thought we'd kick it off with, is there a book or movie that has indirectly taught you about marketing? And if so, what it is? I'm going to have to talk my way through to get to the title of this book. Buy yourself uh, some time. Yeah. To buy myself some time here. But so I started out by reading the 48 Laws to Power. 48 Laws of Power. Yeah, Robert Greene. Yeah, by Robert Greene. And then he wrote another book that was essentially about um, how to like seduce people. Not yeah, yeah. It was, it was the, the law. Was the Art of Seduction. The Art of Seduction, I the, think. The Art of Seduction. So like it's, it's really it. embarrassing to say that I read that book. But, Dude, I, I, I read that book too. I read both it. of those books. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Um, yeah. So for everybody who doesn't know this book, it it's not it's not like I I'm trying to get girls. It's not that kind of book. It's like how to um, win people over to your side or or to create this kind of aura about yourself where you're just like one of those people that is, is people are drawn to, right? Yeah, exactly. And so um, I I think that that book is is actually really applicable to marketing because if you think about marketing and some aspects of marketing, what you're really doing is you're trying to draw people towards you or towards an idea or towards um, an action. And so just just thinking about the types of things that trigger emotional responses or positive responses from people um, is something that you can really easily take from a one-on-one interaction and apply it to, try to apply it to uh, broader messaging. And, and so I, I think that, that that book has been uh, kind of an influential in in terms of how I understand and think about marketing. Yeah, I love that book. I actually read that book first before I read 48 Laws of Power. And which one did you like better? Oh, I each each their own for, for the for their own value, right? I, I think 48 Laws of Power is great for anything to do with the work dynamics and politics because it, it, it exists in every company, you know. So, so you gotta be good at navigating that. And then two, artist seduction. I agree. I think it's it's great for marketing and getting someone to make a move. And how do you do that? And how do you draw people in? You know, uh, or create some sort of air around a, a brand. Like you think about Nike and Coca Cola, these iconic brands. Like when people think about them, they have s- such it's almost infatuating of a feeling towards them. You know, Disney is another one. Uh, and I think they leverage a lot of those principles in that book. Absolutely. I mean, just thinking about Coca-Cola, it reminds me of like a warm summer day in my childhood when times were simpler. And, uh, you know, that's one of the the messages that they, that they bring to the people. And it's very seductive. It's very seductive. That's right. 
Was there a certain principle that's, that jumps out in your head when you think in regards to marketing with artist seduction? Jeez. Um, ooh, I, <laughs> trying to think if I can remember the principles at this point. Oh, it's been a while. I'll, I'll buy you time. Uh, well, well, and I remember the book actually starts off with talking about the archetypes of seducers, right? There's like, there's the siren, the siren they use the, in the, in the, the Iliad, no, it was in the Odyssey. Odyssey, the right? Odyssey, yeah. On the being on the ship, and they pass by those rocks, and there's there's the sirens, and they're just you know, they're so they're so drawing. They have these phenomenal voices, and they're like kind of like luring the men towards this island on the ship, and the men are so dis- distracted by it that they end up steering the ship into the rocks. And they would always crash the ship into the rocks, right? <laughs> uh, there, there was, there's that story. So they actually start out with the archetypes, and I, I, I like that because it gives you a sense of the patterns that you see among all these people. And it's, it's actually less about the principles, but more about the archetypes and modes that you can tap into. That's right. Yeah, it's the siren. They've got the rake, who basically is just a relentless person, which probably describes my personality type mm. pretty well, but, but not necessarily my approach to marketing. Uh, there's there's the was it the flamboyant is that another one or the they're like the dandy yeah the flamboyant the dandy the dandy dandy. yeah 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 well yeah what are the other ones if you wouldn't mind reading them um yeah so you've got the siren the rake the ideal lover Mm -hmm. uh as the name suggests represents a fantasy lover who makes the beloved feel lofty and great that's a pretty good one uh the dandy uh, who offers the kind of forbidden freedom that most people can only dream of, but yeah, never but hope. Prince is a great example of a dandy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's a yep. great example. Uh, it's like, man, this guy's so out there, but secretly a lot of people are like, man, I wish I could be like that. Yeah. Cause he's so freeing in that way. Yeah. Uh, the, the natural many people consider childhood as the golden age because we have a sense of having lost that time of our lives, making it all the more precious and desired. The natural seducer is one who has somehow retained the childhood traits. So like mm. that, that one kind of applies to, to what we were talking about with Coca-Cola. Yeah. It's just so, so easy to idealize that, um, that time because it's simple and easy. Um, and you've got the, the coquette, the kind of seducer who leads a person on without offering instant gratification. So, so playing hard to get. It's mm. a good one. The, uh, the charmer. Those who seduce by making their targets the center of attention. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, those people that are so good at flattering, they can, you know, kind of pick out all the details and push the the right good buttons. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think uh, when you're talking more about sales and less about marketing, mm-hmm. the charmer, I, I definitely um, have some elements of that. But it's you know, it's genuine. It's like I I find certain companies and and goals and challenges so damn interesting that um, I just remember everything about it and I think about it a lot and I kind of make sure that that solving this problem is front and center and so I think that it kind of in a sense is is like the charmer yeah Um, the charismatic seducers are inherently exciting because they come across as self-sufficient and self-driven they represent the kind of personality that most people want to see themselves as yeah the ideal Uh, self the ideal self and then the star. The star has a glamorous and dramatic presence, and, and they have present themselves as objects of fascination. Kennedy, for instance, was a star who won mm. over his opponents through his star quality and eloquence. 
So those are the the archetypes. Um, so so yeah, I guess tying this back to marketing, I, I think that um, if you're trying to bring somebody or, or market to a particular audience, I think what you one of the things you need to do is think about the different angles that you can approach the, the problem from and maybe employ different types of archetypes or different characteristics of the archetypes depending on what you are marketing or, or what you are trying to accomplish. And so Coca-Cola, for example, might might rely on the um, the natural. <laughs> so trying to get you to feel that that sense of wonder and awe related to your childhood. Yep. Whereas um, maybe something alcohol, for example, might go a little bit more um, on the side of sexual. So sure, maybe more rake, more siren, maybe more maybe more rake, exactly, or siren. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah, that's such a great book. I remember when he he the, in the intro paragraph, uh, intro chapter, he talks about how the art of seduction came to be, and he he brought up Cleopatra back in back in those times that. Uh, women didn't have any physical power during that time. So they would have to tap into a different form of a, they called it, he called it mental power. Right. And, and being able to have influence. And, and he, he made the argument, he's like, you know, it, it, it isn't these, the, the rulers, it isn't, um, it isn't Caesar that has the most power. It actually arguably could be his spouse or his partner at that time that accesses counsel, right. That, that can actually have that influence more than an internal board of advisors. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, such an and the Cleopatra story is so fascinating too. Like such a bold move to get wrapped up in a rug and and hand delivered into the <laughs> that's right the palace naked. Like oh my god, some crazy uh, drama. Uh, run through that story real quick for 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 the audience. Yeah. So um, if I'm remembering it correctly, the Romans had conquered northern Egypt, and so was it Mark Antony or was it? Uh, I think it was Mark Antony. I think it was it was Mark I'll, Antony. I'll from it. Yeah, although I think she had flings with with both Mark Antony and Caesar, so I I might yep. be getting it mixed. But but anyways, the the Romans are occupying part of northern Egypt, and Cleopatra really really wants to to get in with these guys because she wants power, and yep. so um, she has no way of of kind of crossing lines and and getting in there because she keeps being refused, and so um, she finally devises this scheme where she's gonna she's gonna get rolled up in this carpet and have that carpet this really fancy carpet delivered to the romans as a gift <laughs> um, but she knew that being wrapped up in this carpet might take a long time and she was afraid of overheating and, and also she had a flair for the dramatic and so she she decided to go into the carpet nude and <laughs> uh and and sure enough she she gets you know presented as this gift it, it's brought into mark antony he unrolls the rug and there is cleopatra in makeup and fully nude just <laughs> presented to him wow and she uh just jumped right in there to to seduce him and, and the rest <laughs> is history that's right that's right wow yeah that's 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 a good story i remember seeing it played on some movie but uh it's it, you know sometimes it's always better through 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 a book and writing yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. So let's so let's go back to talking about programmatic job ads. I, I actually I, I want to talk more about why this is such a disruptive innovation and then specifically what has made AppCast special and unique in this space. Yeah, that that's a really good question and, and it's actually a really timely question because you you're starting to actually see 
this play out in, outside of the United States and in other parts of the world. So if you think back even just five or 10 years in, in recruitment space, you really only had one model, which was the, the pay-per-post model, which mm-hmm. is you know, very unoptimizable. You, you basically say, here's some money, place an ad on this website, and it chills there for 30 days. And whatever happens, happens. Hope for the best, post and pray. So you had this very static landscape, and it was really ripe for disruption. And, and I'm actually going to give a, a nice plug to, to Indeed here. So um, come, you know, come 2005 or 2006, you start to see Indeed break onto the scene with their uh, the first pay-for performance model, hmm. which is the the cost per click model, yep. um, which you know in in the face of this paper proposed model is is really enticing um you know oh you only get what you pay for and it it actually is the amount that you pay is actually related to people engaging with that ad it's really interesting but it didn't really take off um it 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 did okay don't get me wrong but people are slow to change and nobody wants to disrupt the you know the whole thing that they've been doing for the last 10 years and so the, the united states didn't didn't wholeheartedly adopt the pay-per-click model until something really drastic happened, which was the 2008 financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you've got um, like huge issues with the economies and people's marketing budgets are getting slashed. And so all of a sudden, these, these folks in HR and recruitment who had been pretty happy just kind of doing their thing, buying postings and mm-hmm. not being too worried about the results, um, all of a sudden, they, they have a really tight budget and they have to start to, to think about it. And so, um, indeed, rather than kind of laying people off and sitting back in their heels like a lot of the industry did, um, decided they were going to push really hard and sell through this this financial crisis, um, thinking that this disruption was going to cause people to have to really reconsider how they're using their funds. And, and, and it worked brilliantly. And so that's really when you see the rise of of the pay for performance model um and so th- this is all going to tie back to your question i promise it's just a, a very long-winded way of setting this no no th- this so, is great this is really good good okay um and and so so post 2008 crisis all of a sudden um y- you know you've got indeed and you've got all these other companies that are um doing the same thing they're offering these pay for performance models where you say okay great like here's my budget it's ten thousand dollars Here's my jobs. I'm going to buy clicks. Go. And so it's it's great for a while, but job boards are businesses, and businesses like to make money. And so naturally, these companies get a little bit more sophisticated. And what they start to do is um, figure out which jobs are going to generate the most clicks the fastest so that they can spend the budget as quickly as possible, which makes a ton of sense as a business because you, you want to get paid. Um, unfortunately, what this often means is that the easiest to fill positions are also the positions that get the most clicks. And so what what these HR folks are finding is that their budget is being used not in a way that aligns to their business needs, but really in a way that aligns to the job board's business needs of generating money. And so you'll have mm-hmm. um, your hardest to fill jobs getting nothing, your easiest to fill jobs getting loads of clicks and using up all the budget. And that's not a good outcome. And so that's really what the the programmatic technologies were here to solve. That that's why they came to be. Uh, Chris Foreman and, and Tim McKegney and you know a couple of a couple of smart folks there at the beginning, they saw this problem 
of, of an, basically a misalignment between budget spend and outcome. And then they, they looked at the consumer marketing space and they actually saw that there was already a solution for this exact same problem, which had happened 10 years prior in consumer marketing. Um, and that was programmatic tech. And so, so really all we said was, well, great. We've got a performance marketplace that already exists, which is just pay-per-click advertising. So why don't we build a programmatic technology and, that really all it's going to do is say, okay, let's assign specific budgets to groups of jobs. So that way you can make sure that you're allocating maybe a third of your budget on your easier jobs, a third of your budget on your middle of the road jobs, and a third of your budget on your hardest to fill jobs. And so even if you do spend the budget on those easy to fill jobs more quickly, once you've hit your goal, those jobs no longer get advertised, which means you've still got budget for the middle of the road jobs. Mm -hmm. And for those harder to fill jobs. And so all of a sudden you're, you're finding alignment between the spends of your resources and the outcomes that you need. And so that's really what programmatic is all about. Um, and, and so um, as you can imagine, you know, a lot of companies didn't even really know that they had this problem or maybe they just didn't really care. But um, right now, actually, what you can see is the same thing. We're having a financial crisis of sorts. Budgets are getting tighter but people still need to recruit to some degree. And mm -hmm. so one of the things that you're seeing here at AppCast is like, we're doing pretty well. Um, certainly our longstanding clients aren't spending as much money, but what you're finding is that people are really starting to adopt this programmatic idea because they have to. They need to make a change. They need to use their resources much more um, strategically. And that's what programmatic enables folks to do. So, so can I can I summarize it down to to this as in pre-2008 it was paper post post 2008 between maybe say 2008 to 2014 it was cost per click was dominant and then 2014 to now cost per apply sort of so 2014 through to now it's it's pay per click and and cost per apply, but what you're starting to see is is these programmatic technologies that um, either charge for and apply, and or can just just kind of help folks to segment their budget um, to align to you know particular jobs or groups of jobs rather than just here's a thousand jobs and a thousand dollars spend it however you want. Yeah. So what made Abcast special in this shift? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So um, certainly being an early adopter. So we, we launched our platform in, in 2014 um, and we kind of checked two of those boxes. So the first box is you pay per application per completed apply. So already um, we're taking risk off of folks' shoulders. They don't have to uh, hope that those clicks convert into applications. You just, you only pay when you get that completed apply. And so that was a really enticing thing and it was a, it was a, a brand new idea at the time um, and then the second component was that that programmatic aspect of aligning budgets to groups of jobs um, and so you know I think being early and having two really compelling things at the same time was really good but you know we're still early we're still early in our company you know if you look at appcast compared to indeed in terms of market share indeed is, is still just way bigger than us but but we're coming for them, um, mm -hmm. and and uh, you know again, especially now as as folks are forced to reconsider how they're using their funds, um, our our model becomes more and more appealing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I, I, it's funny you bring up Indeed and the turning of the two thousand eight recession because I see their TV ads now. Like I see their ads on YouTube, and it's people. Oh, you know, I got laid off from my job. I didn't think I'd find anything. It's a horrible time to find a job. But then I, you know, I went to Indeed and I got a new job. I started on Monday at the startup. You know, like oh, like and it's it's they're 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 really saying to advertisers to companies like hey you should come here like here's the green pasture right and they're they're trying there yeah they're they're really smart folks over at indeed and they they have a playbook for um right for for the the environment that we're exactly. in today and and it and it's a good playbook it's it's sell through it and it's it's grow and and help help people and that's that's what we're doing at AppCast. Do we want to help people get the right job, and we want to help employers get the right people? And you know, if we can drive those positive outcomes um, throughout this uh, this recession, then you know we're we're going to be successful, and our our clients are going to be successful, and people are going to be successful. So win win win. Amen. Amen. It's it's, it's very very mission driven in that way. Uh, AppCast AppCast culture. So uh, if if I'm a, a startup a new marketplace company because I, I have a feeling there's going to continue to be more of these going into the future. How, and I want to leverage programmatic job ads. How does one get good at leveraging this channel if they want to? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So, um, and when you say good at leveraging it, do you mean mm-hmm. like, how do, how do I, how do I, um, as a re- recruiting department make the best use of, of this sort of technology? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, this is going to go back to some some of the uh, things I said in the first first half of the interview, but um, cer- certainly you know talk to the folks that have been doing it for a while, such as such as you know me, um, for example, and you know talk about best practices and things like that. But uh, at the end of the day, every single company and every single um, every single company has a different funnel and a different brand and exists in a slightly different environment than any other company. And so um, certainly those best practices are a really great place to start, but it's going to take a little bit of experimentation. Um, it's it's going to take trying out different types of titles, maybe tweaking your funnel a little bit and just trying to figure out what's going to um, get you the best results for your particular need. Because really... At the end of the day, what what AppCast is empowering folks to do is to um, go and engage with a really, really broad and diverse marketplace of advertisers in a really, really simple, easy to do way. But because it is this broad array of advertisers, um, different playbooks are going to work for different types of jobs or for different locations or for different scenarios. And so um, it's going to be really experimenting, um, tweaking finding out what works and then iterating on that and just continuously honing that, that approach. So when you say funnel changes, you mentioned that a couple of times, what do you mean? Oh yeah. Great, great question. So um, when I think about a funnel uh, in recruitment, I think about um, the, the very top of the funnel is, is well within my purview, the very top of the funnel is a job ad, which is mm-hmm. the, the very first thing that a job seeker could just touch point with. First touch point, exactly. Really, if you want to get technical, it could actually be brand awareness. But, but anyways, your job ad. And so, so the very first thing you want to be thinking about is what are folks seeing when they see my job ad? If 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 the job ad is like, um, I don't know, grocery ninja, it's like 
what the heck does that mean? I don't know what that is. I'm not clicking on that. So yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, I get it. You want to be compelling, but at the same time, you've got to give folks a little bit of information so they know what, what the heck you want. And so it's yeah. just like thinking about, okay, what's my, what's my job ad? What am I trying to do? Well, you really, you're trying to sell a complete stranger on the idea that maybe they should check out what you're offering for employment. And so, so you have to think about that as a, as a really short elevator pitch, every single job mm. ad. And then once they click on that, and that's just based on the title, once they click on that, you've got your job description. And it's like, okay, that's something you need to think about too, because, because a job seeker, you get one shot with this, this guy or this girl. If she looks at your job description and it is 27 pages long and, and there's no meat in there, it's just fluff. They're probably, she's probably just going to say, yeah, I'm not going to read that and go elsewhere. Or she's just going to apply willy nilly. And, and maybe she's not a good fit because she, she didn't actually read the ad. So it's, you want to get them relevant information, but you want to mm-hmm. do it in a way that's concise enough that they're actually going to look at it. But then from there, then they have to hit the apply button, right? And that just brings them to the top of your, your application process. And so then the, the rest of the funnel is really, what are the steps involved in actually completing that application? Is it just really, is it really simple and easy? Is it, you know, name? a couple of questions, contact information, and done? Or are you going to ask them for their social security number and you know their blood type and all this crazy stuff? Because if you, if you do all of this crazy stuff, they, they might not apply. They might get frustrated and say, mm, I'm going to go elsewhere. And so it's, it's just being intentional about the experience of that job seeker, what they're seeing from the very start to the very finish when they finally submitted that application. And actually, even beyond that, because then once they've applied, that's, that's really just the first step. And then it's, you know, how do you, how do you engage with that, folk after, that person after the fact? Do you send them an automated email to confirm that you got the application? Do you have somebody call them and, and tell them where they are in the process? Or is it a black hole where they're just waiting and they have no idea? Yeah. And if you you know, all those things. And I, I can go on and on for this, but I don't want to waste up all of your time. So. No, this, I want, I want to get in the rabbit hole with, with this, this, this sounds great. So, so, so to ensue the conversation more. So you talked about there's, there's all, there's additional steps after they, you know, that they, they click on the job description. They say, you know, I'm ready. You know, I asked for their, their blood type as a joke, or, or maybe you do, I don't know. Maybe you're hiring marketplace on demand nurses, you know, <laughs> but, and, and their blood type is important. Uh, so it seems like it, it comes down to the, the funnel is the conversion funnel and there's steps to get them to really selling or, or, you know, marketing having business on the platform if it is or let's say you know taking giving consumers rides and it's you're either introducing less steps by reducing friction so it comes down to friction or you're Mm -hmm. maybe increasing friction by introducing steps that vet them and qualify them like the blood type question or the the uh, social security number question right you just you absolutely nailed it. So yeah, to define the funnel really quickly, it's just everything from the first engagement to activation. Yep. Um, and then exactly to your point, the two things that you've got to balance out are I, I need to get people into my funnel. So how do I make that easier? But I also need to make sure they're the right people. So so maybe I don't want to make it too easy. Yeah. I, you've got to balance qualification and and ease ease of getting people in. And that's, that's really tricky to do, which is why, you know, there's not going to be any one right way to do it. That is universal across all companies because 
you know, you, you working for an insurance marketplace, you, you need to know different things than uh, a rideshare marketplace needs to know. And so, you know, you've got to try things out. You got to think about it, use your brain, try things out, say, I think this makes sense. Here's my theory. Let's test it. Okay. That seemed to work. Let's maybe tweak it a little bit and see if we can get it better and just continuously making that sharper and sharper. Exactly. Yeah. So, so my next question is what makes program, programmatic job ads secretly simple? Yeah. So <laughs> if you think about, um, this is real, I'm really going to answer this from the context of, of AppCast and then I'll, I'll try and tie Please. it into programmatic yeah. in general. But, but so with AppCast, um, one of the really big value points that the technology brings is that um, we're helping you to engage with an entire marketplace of advertisers. And now if you think about that, that sounds pretty, pretty simple. Um, but if you compare that to the old days, it sounds even simpler. So in the old days, if you wanted to go and run a really um, smart and competitive and, and advanced um, recruitment function, you'd have to go out and engage with 10 or 15 or 20 or even more different advertising partners, which means you'd have to go out and negotiate a contract with a salesperson, and then you'd have to uh, figure out how to get your uh, your funnel connected to their their job board. So you've got to do a technology integration. And then when you're thinking about all of this optimizing stuff, you're not just doing any of these iterations or optimizations one time. You have to do it five or 10 or 15 or 20 different times. And so it, it's, it's really complicated versus if you use a, a programmatic, oh, sorry, and not only is it, just difficult from a time management standpoint, but you're dealing with 20 different sources of data that you've got to try and cobble together and try and understand. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe the data sets aren't exactly the same. Maybe a click on one site is not the same thing as a click on another site. And so it's, it's just kind of complicated and it adds, adds a lot of layers of, of thinking and, and, and all of these things that you need to do. Versus if you leverage a programmatic technology, um, you've well, depending on which technology you're using, if it's if it's an AppCast Exchange or a marketplace style technology, it's one relationship, one source of data, one source of truth, and so um, maybe the optimizations that you that you're making, maybe they don't work exactly the same on all of the 1,000 you know plus advertising partners that are in our exchange. But an example of optimization is changing the title, changing step in the funnel, changing the job description, changing the landing page, things like that, right? Sorry, to exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So um, you change the title of a job ad and you want to see, or maybe you run an A-B test, you're running two titles and you just want to see which one works better. Um, instead of needing to do that on 20 sites and then getting 20 different pieces of information and trying to figure out you know, which was better or worse, um, you with a marketplace, you would do it one time and you would see the aggregate data all, all put together and you can say, okay, on the balance, I know that title A works better than title B. And then you say, okay, why is that? And then let's iterate. So, so it makes that process a lot faster and uh, more easy to understand. Did I, did I answer your question? I feel like I was just you talking did. in circles there. Okay. No, no, I, I, you, you answered, I, I, it's a two-sided coin and I, I think um, it's it's surprisingly simple, but also surprisingly complicated in some way too. And 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 the word I'd written down to describe how it's secretly simple is it's convenient. It's easy to get started. You know, if when I'm working with you, Trevor, 
with with Abcast Exchange. I just have to get give you a, a title, maybe two job titles if you want to test that, a job description, and a link to a landing page, and yeah. and, of, and of course a budget. That's that's easy, and the paired with the complexity of what you all have done to create that simplicity for me as the client, right? That's exact. That's exactly right. Um, and, and the same thing sort of applies to um, not necessarily a, a marketplace like the AppCast Exchange, but to a, a, a programmatic um, DSP or uh, software like ClickCast, where you, you can approach it the same way. You can, you can just have one landing page, one title, and say, all right, now just go do this for all of my different partners. And then yeah. you can see all of that data and make these decisions with one source of data it's all in one place. It's very easy to see and understand and digest and iterate. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, and, and, and what's a DSP for the audience? Uh, demand side platform. Okay. And what does that mean? Uh, yeah. Great question. So um, it's a silly jargon term that maybe folks use, maybe folks don't. I, I use it, but to you me, use it too. It, it, yeah. Okay, great. So to me, it's essentially um, a single a single platform or a single location from which to manage, measure, and optimize all of your demand side marketing. Um, in in the context that I'm using it, it's not all of your demand side marketing. It's really specific to job advertising. But mm-hmm. um, if you go and talk to a consumer marketer, they'll think about it as a place where they can manage, you know, Google AdWords and all of the other different ad networks that they're engaging with. Cool. Yeah. So so speaking of Gig economies, 1099 companies. So since that is your specialty, Trevor, working with a lot of these sorts of clients because they seem to really want to leverage the the smart, effective way of doing uh, job job recruitment acquisition. So what are gig economy companies doing that's working really well and that could be pre-COVID-19 and also during COVID-19 if, if, if it is still going well? Yeah. Yeah. So... Um... I'll talk pre-COVID-19 first, and then we can talk a little bit about the current environment. So um, pre-COVID-19 and and maybe uh, pre-ClickCast, actually, these these companies, they're they're all really large on-demand marketplaces, and they need to do an extremely high volume of of recruitment to get folks driving or delivering or whatever the services that they're providing. How many people do they need to get? Thousands, are we talking about? Hundreds? Thousands. Oh, yeah. Thousands. thousands. In some cases, tens of thousands. I mean, there okay. it, it ranges from company to company, but we're talking high volume. And um, over for, a short span of time, too, right? Yeah. And, and, and actually, it, it's a fairly complicated problem because um, if you think about a marketplace in its most simple form, you're connecting folks that need a service done with folks that can do a service. And what you need to make sure that you do is balance that marketplace because if you've got too much supply and not enough demands, the folks that are supplying the service are going yeah. to get frustrated because they can't make money. Versus if you've got too much demand and not enough supply, then the folks that are using your platform to find the service are going to get frustrated because it's either too expensive or they can't get folks to pick up their groceries or come drive them. Right. So Convenience got, drops. Yep. Exactly. So you've got this balancing act. And so if you think about balancing a, a, a single marketplace, okay, it's not Intellectually, it's not that challenging, but consider that it's not actually one marketplace. If you're an Uber or a Lyft or one of these big nationwide companies, you've actually got hundreds or thousands of of marketplaces that you need to balance because every single city 
is its own marketplace. And so, so it's, it's, it's really complicated. But so, um, anyways, trying to bring it, tie, tying this back into the question, before programmatic technologies, what these companies would need to do is, is go out and engage with um, a whole lot of different advertisers because maybe what works in Boston doesn't work in LA. Maybe you need 25, you know, these 25 advertisers in Boston and those 25 advertisers in LA. And, and it just spins out of control with the amount of complexity that, that all generates. And so what these folks did was really, really smart. They, they, they found programmatic technologies and so they said, okay, first we're going to have a central place to manage this all from. And then, and then they, you know, obviously we said, hey, there's this thing, AppCast, you got to use it. And so they used it. But, but the other thing that they did um, was, A, they leveraged the convenience of the exchange, the AppCast exchange. But then they also went out and they said, you know what, there, there's probably some other places where I can be buying from as well. Um, a small number of really high quality folks that I can, I can manage next to the exchange. And between, between the exchange and these three or four or five different folks, I think I can have a really comprehensive solution because, you know, you, you know, you want to be on Indeed, you know, you want to be on Craigslist. Um, but what are you going to do when you've got to find like these 25 niche sites? So that's where, where an exchange comes into place. That's already got thousands of relationships and it can help you to get to a lot of these smaller, but more specific job boards that are going to be really effective in, in, you know, these different markets without needing to go and negotiate 25 contracts and do 25 integrations times every single market that you're in. And so, and so they've, they found a good way of leveraging the convenience of an exchange plus getting the, like the really important um, direct plugins to the Indeeds and the Craigslists of the world. Very cool. And so what's, what's the market like right now with COVID-19? Yeah. So, um, as, as you can imagine, it's going to vary quite a bit depending on the type of service that these folks are providing. Um, if you're, you know, looking for rides to and from the airport, not a lot, not a lot of that going on right now. Um, obviously, but if, it, if, but if it's a Grubhub or say a DoorDash, some sort of food delivery might be doing great. Right. Exactly. Might be doing really well or grocery delivery. Um, but so, so, Folks have had to rethink a little bit about how they market to get these these job seekers to to go and work on their platforms because um, folks are skittish. You know, it's it's a little bit scary going outside the house right now. And so um, maybe before one of the ways that you can entice people to come work for your platform would be to talk about how much you're going to get paid or um, talk about how flexible it is. You know, some of the perks of of being a 1099 uh, self employed person. You know, you don't have a boss. You, you kind of get to work when you want, how you want. You know, you, you're going to get paid every day or every week. Like those were really compelling things, and so that used to be a lot of the messaging that was going on in the space, and, and it worked. Mm -hmm. But now, because folks are scared and it's just weird out there, um, these these gig economy uh, gig economy companies have adapted really quickly and figured out that that what folks are really concerned about is, yeah, they they need to make money. They don't want to make money. They need to make money. Um, but really, they want to be safe, and so and so the messaging is changing. It's 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 more about this. This is why this is going to be an okay job. Like you've got PPE, we'll provide you with PPE, or it's it's What's zero PPE? contact. Oh, sorry, personal protective equipment. Okay. So we'll we'll give you masks or and gloves. 
So like maybe that's a good selling point or maybe yeah. a selling point is you don't actually have to interact with anybody. Um, you can, you know, you can go and leave it on the doorstep and never have to talk to the person and tell them through the app to open their door and pick it up. And so it's contactless, you know, hmm. thinking about ways to, to make people feel comfortable with the opportunity is, is kind of what it's about right now. And what I think these, these folks are doing really, really well and really intelligently. Yeah, it reminds me of back when the internet was just becoming a thing in, you know, like 1996-ish to 2000. And it was it was simply cool just to have a website, right? To like to be online. And you're like, you know, the whole like hello world thing. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know what to write. Like, this is just cool to be here in this cyberspace, right? And then it quickly, that became foundational. It's like, okay, cool. Well, you're on the internet. What are you doing here? Like, are you providing any value? What's your product? Right. It became less about it being kind of a recreational thing and more about it being a maybe actually like a business opportunity. And uh, I, I maybe the maturity of gig economy companies is well, it's it's foundational that you're going to get paid and it's going to be you're going to have a flex, flexible work schedule. Like they're like, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Well, everybody knows that already. Everyone knows that already. It's like you yeah. don't need you don't need to spell it out for me now relevancy if it's COVID-19 time okay safety provide personal protective equipment uh you don't interact with anyone um like making you comfortable with opportunity is what people are it's what's really top of mind for someone to go you know what I I do want to do that I do want to try you know while I don't have this corporate job supporting my family while keeping them safe right that's a you're exactly right. I, I really like how you put that linear progression and that kind of that maturation um, to voice there. I think that's exactly what's going on. Yeah, that's 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 fascinating. So, so it, it, are those some patterns that you're seeing? Is the the, the emphasis on the safety uh, while still saying, well, of course you're going to get paid well and have flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. And and it it kind of ties back into the the initial job ad so um, you can tell people all of that other stuff about how you pay them but that's not the first thing that you should tell them anymore um, so that that's maybe in the yeah. job description or even on the landing page but now it's yeah it's about getting them comfortable enough to even consider the opportunity yep okay very cool uh, so what 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 do you I, I can't help but to ask this what, what do you think is the future of, of gig economy companies given this this um, pandemic that's going on and a potential recession. What what do you what do you think the future looks like? Yeah, that's that's a really big question, um, and it's it's hard to answer in broad just because you do have the yeah. different flavors of gig. But um, anecdotally, you know, one one thing that I think is is going to happen is folks are getting really used to ordering food and grocery online. Um, Prior to COVID-19, you certainly had a, a cohort of people that would, you know, use these services, um, but it tended to be younger folks, folks that were fresh out of college, were a little bit more tech savvy and just kind of knew about this stuff. But in the current environment, you're starting, at least I think you're starting to see folks like my parents. In fact, my parents specifically don't want to go to the grocery store. So they're, they're now using Instacart. They, they never would have done that before. My mom is is like... 71 mm. and loves going to the grocery store on Sunday. And it's like, you know, it's, it's her, her ritual, but, but she can't do it. So she starts using these companies like Instacart gets really comfortable, forms a habit. And so I think what you're going to see is, is that 
that kind of stuff actually does really, really well through the recession and, and post-recession and post-COVID because it, yeah. it is habit-forming. Yeah. Especially, you know, you're having younger people up come up in the world and you're also having older people adopt it. So I think that's going to be really good for the gig economy. Yeah. You're touching on something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, actually, with uh, Daniel O'Neill. Uh, he, he he worked at Bayard, and we were talking about the technology adoption lifecycle. Have you heard of this? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd love to hear it from you, though. So, like, um, yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, sure. And, and it'll be good insight for, for the listeners, too. So, technology adoption lifecycle was created by, I actually have his name right here. Uh, his name was Joe M. Bolin, um, actually back in 1957. So it's been around for a long time. Uh, and it basically describes marketing adoption and how to market to audiences based on, you can categorize people into segments along, you know, it's, it's called a parabola, right? Like, you know, if statistically we take a sample of 100 people in regards to you know, uh, that have adopted a technology, let's take an iPhone, uh, majority of the people are going to fall into that that central middle. Is it 77%, 75% that uh, have adopted it uh, relatively as a early majority and a late majority because it's practical, because other people are doing it, uh, because they see it everywhere. It has this natural omnipresence, right? And then we go over to the sides and it's actually the people that either... Uh, were early adopters to it. They like to be innovators. They like to try things out, or they're the laggards. They're they're the people who um, they they got an iPhone because there's no more flip phones available at T-Mobile stores, right? It's 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 only the iPhone available. It's it's usually our parents in regards to something like uh, phone technology. And then if we go even further, the last standard deviation, that, that, that third one, and that at that point is something like 1% of the people fall into that category. We got the, we got the innovators. We have the, the people who are like, they adopted Bitcoin back in 2009 because they're like, this is, this, is, <laughs> this is the future, right? They're, they're the ones that make the bets. And maybe 80% of the time they're wrong but at least they're making the best because 20% of the time they get it right and they get, they make it right really big. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, in, in that context, you know, I think Ubers and Lyfts of the world were already had already gotten that middle segment of the the parabola um, and are maybe going and getting the last 20% here. But I think in, in food delivery um, you were, I think until now we were still on the, uh, really, I, I would left, say the early left, majority. Left yeah, early majority. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now we're we're coming down. We've we've passed the middle point, or are at the middle point, and are going to start right. to get the the tail end of it. The late majority, the laggards. You mentioned your parents, right? Trying parents. something. It might have been weird before. I, you know, I can't trust. Who are these people bringing my food? I don't know them, right? And yeah, like, I don't want to put my credit card in my phone. Right, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, my my mom still says that. Um, yeah, that's 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 a great way to describe. It. I I think it's more of a the what's going to happen in the future is it's a maturation of consumers being comfortable with things like this that maybe we have no choice now but to take advantage of it, right? Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. So I, I want to be respectful of your time. I I, I know we're we're about forty five minutes in. So so I got some questions for you. I call them uh, rapid growth quest- questions. Ooh, okay. So if you're ready, 
Uh, I want you to answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Greatest marketer ever. Oof, I got nothing. <laughs> it could be someone who, who who isn't directly a marketer. It could be someone, you know, who who just is great at selling. You know, it could be Walt Disney. Oh, it's uh it, it's Steve Jobs. Yeah. Steve, no, it's, Steve it's Jobs. Steve Jobs. Yeah. Have you seen many of his keynote speeches? Seen I've seen a couple. Um, but to me it's all about the fact that he took the iPhone and made it like just it's the phone, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a master marketing newsletter. You read a lot. Uh, ERE. ERE. What's that? Uh, it's a, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's really nerdy. It's a, uh, recruitment newsletter. It's a, okay. a daily thing. Yeah. What's that stand e- for? Uh, what does it stand for? Something recruitment. Let me, let me actually look it up. ERE.net and it stands for recruitment intelligence. That doesn't make any sense. Maybe it's electronic it's recruitment. ERE. Oh, yeah. Well, well, if someone Googles ERE, the, it'll come up. Yeah, yeah. It's ERE.net. And so okay. it's very specific to recruitment. Okay. Marketing blog you read a lot. Uh, also ERE or Chad and Cheese. What's Chad and Cheese? Uh, it's these these two guys that talk about uh, recruitment trends over beer. Okay. Very yeah, cool. It's a, it's a podcast or a, a, like a sort of a blog but okay podcast you should check it out they're fun i will i will marketing twitter or general twitter influencer you follow a lot Ooh, i don't do twitter okay yeah best marketing book of all time oh i I guess we already talked about this the artist artist seduction yeah you could argue uh most promising 2020 marketing channel that few have tried oh um that's interesting See, I know you're looking for rapid response here, but I, but I, I'm no, no, it's okay. This. this is a work yeah. in progress. These rapid growth questions. Yeah. See, like, I feel like this could be actually a longer, a longer question. Not that I've got a good answer for it, but in terms of like emerging trends or channels, channel types, um, it's really tough because right now you're you're kind of seeing a lot of companies go into their shell a little bit. You're seeing a lot of job boards kind of cut down to the bare bones and, and go back to the basics and, and not doing a ton of innovation. Do, do, uh, doing what's safe, doing what works. Yeah, exactly. But I, you know, I, I don't think that's a good strategy going into um, any environment. I think, you know, you've got to be on the, I agree. the cutting edge, but, but yeah, I, I, I don't have a good answer for you. Um, but I'll, I'll think on that one. Okay. And finally, what marketing advice do you give that few follow? Everybody follows my advice. Are you crazy? <laughs> um, I do. I, you, you do. Um, I, I really think that people don't, don't iterate enough. Um, I think folks are often too afraid to tip over the apple cart, so to speak, and, and try, try things. Um, I think fortunately in you know, working with marketplace companies, they are much more willing to do that and are much more nimble at doing it. But um, I, you know, prior to selling into this vertical, it was really hard to get people to change job title or revise a, a hmm. job description. Um, and so I, I think that that's, that's a piece of advice, which is to, to experiment and iterate that um, more folks could follow. Okay. And, and do, do you have any good recommendations for experimentation methodology? I, I personally, I, I think often it's done, it can be done wrong and easily done wrong if it's not 
controlled and, and layered in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think that the, the biggest mistake that folks make when they're doing this is they try to change too many variables at once. Yeah. Um, you can liken it back to scientific method, which is you've got your controls and then you've got your one variable and you need to make sure your controls stay controls. And so um, you can't change the questions that you ask in the application process at the same time as the job description at the same time as the title, because it's you're not going to know which thing had what impact. You might be able to say, well, changing all three of these things, we improved. But if you were to separate those all out, you might find that the title change you made actually sucked. And that the reason that things improved, quote unquote, is because you made it a lot easier for folks to actually apply. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's about the scientific method. Yep. And then, you know, say you did do two changes at once and you do want to figure out what it, what had the effect. Now you have to take it a step back to go and test that out, figure that out. So you have to take a step back to get two steps forward. So really, you, you know, moving faster if you do follow the scientific method. Yeah. And, it, you know, I get the appeal of doing it all at once. I, I you know, it's hard not to do it sometimes because you want to you want to move fast. Right. You know, time, time is money. Um, but but exactly right. You, you end up taking two steps back and one step forward that way. Yep. Uh, and so finally, we like to ask, where can we find you? And do you have any asks of the audience? Oh, cool. Um, where can you find me? So you can, you like on the weekends or <laughs> do you, <laughs> you can do, find do, me do, in my house just like everybody else? <laughs> do you want to, do you, do you want to be found? Yeah. Give me, give us your address and your social security yeah. number. No, <laughs> uh, online. Where, where can we find you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I'm not, um, I'm not super into the social media thing. Um, I do have an Instagram. Um, it's, it's Twevo McGaga, and that's a inside joke with my college friends. Um, obviously not a, a professional, uh, Instagram account, but, um, outside of that, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing a lot of Facebook. I don't have a Twitter. Um, I'm really bad at checking my personal email. You know, um, I live in the middle of the woods. There's a reason for that. <laughs> the answer can be, you can be found nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, call my cell phone, text me, email my work, you know, that's, that's where you can find me. Okay. Otherwise I'm, I'm riding my bike. Riding your bike. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, road bike, mountain bike, uh, mountain, mountain bike. Yeah. Mountain bike. All right. Yep. All right. Look out for Trevor. He's wearing neon green outfit. <laughs> mountain bike and, uh, yeah. <laughs> do you have any asks of the audience? Yeah, you know, just just stay curious, stay creative, and um, try and try and check the egos at the door when you're you're going into this process of of experimentation. Um, uh, oftentimes, one of the things that can get in the way with you know trying out something new is is an ego. You know, if if you personally had this idea and you implemented it a year ago and you've been doing it for a year and it seems to be working pretty well, and then somebody comes to you or even you have your own idea, but somebody comes to you with this idea or a suggestion, um, it, it can be really hard to take it because it feels like it's an attack on your creation, but sure. it's not yeah. an attack. It's, it's, well, hopefully it's not an attack. What it, what it should be. It's not be personal. Is, yeah. It's not personal. It's, it's, it's a collaboration. They're taking what you did and they're building on it and they're iterating on it. They're so making that it better. You and your company can, can improve and get better. And so I think it's, you know, it's, Again, it's check the ego at the door, be curious, try things, but but do it smart. Wonderful. And uh, Appcast, 
Where can we find AppCast? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you should check out AppCast, um, www.appcast.io. Okay. Um, yeah, which I think stands for Indian Ocean. Don't know why. Uh, oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're not we're not based there. We're based in New Hampshire. It's uh, yeah, it's a great place. But um, yeah, check us out on online, and we do have a Twitter, um, and we do have an Instagram. So so check us out there. Okay, great. And uh, the kind of the kind of customer, the kind of desperate customer that would hire AppCast is you know marketplace company, a job board, uh, anything like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, AppCast is a really interesting business in that we are are pretty uh, customer agnostic. Um, any mm. any company that either needs to hire a bunch of folks or um, runs a marketplace, including a job board, um, can leverage our technologies. Staffing firms, agencies use our technologies. Um, the The only place that AppCast doesn't really play is going to be um, in your your small market. So we don't we don't do a lot of uh, mom and pop shops, but okay. um, but anything mid size to large and high volume is is a really great place for for AppCast. Okay, beautiful, and we'll we'll have show notes so we can link that in addition to the episode. But uh, Trevor, th- thanks so much for making time again to to chat, and th- this has been really insightful. Jacob, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you as always, and uh, looking forward to the next time. Likewise, man. Talk to you soon, brother. Thanks for listening to that two-part conversation with our guest. I really do hope I'm creating some value for you and making the journey of entrepreneurship a little less noisy, a little less lonely, and a little less stressful. Before you go, I want to ask you for one small favor. If you liked what you heard, please help grow the show with me by either one, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, or two, subscribing to the show. To sweeten the deal, we're going to do something a little special. If you review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card contest, which we're going to announce the winner of every other week. It's simple. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. It's that little purple podcast app on your phone. Go to the show, scroll to the bottom, and hit review. 10 seconds, 10 words, very easy, and be entered into a raffle for a $50 Amazon gift card, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's free money. You got to love that. And it's easy to do. If you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be amazing. Thanks and take care and good night.